Welcome to Faith Church. We are glad you're here. Starting a brand new collection of messages this morning entitled, Twas the Night Before. We're going to be looking at the Christmas story all month long and exploring the different things that God has done in the nighttime, on the night before. And uh, we're going to enjoy some time together. We're going to celebrate Christmas. We're going to sing songs all month long. And of course, it culminates on the 22nd in our Christmas service. And if you haven't picked up an invite, grab a stack of invites on your way out today at the Next Step counter and uh, take those and invite some people to come experience Christmas with you and celebrate here at Faith Church. I want to read a poem to you. You would know it as, "'Twas the night before Christmas." Let's listen to this poem written by Clement Clark Moore. "'Twas the night before Christmas, when all through the house, not a creature was stirring, not even a mouse. The stockings were hung by the chimney with care in hopes that St. Nicholas would soon be there. The children were nestled all snug in their beds with visions of sugar plums danced in their heads. And mom in her kerchief and I in my cap We had just settled our brains for a long winter's nap. When out on the lawn there arose such a clatter, I sprang from my bed to see what was the matter. Away to the window I flew like a flash, tore open the shutters and there up the sash. The moon on the breast and the new-fallen snow gave a luster of midday to objects below. When what to my wondering eye did appear but a miniature sleigh and eight tiny reindeer. With a little old driver so lively and quick, I knew in a moment it must be St. Nick. More rapid than eagles, his coursers, they came, and he whistled and shouted and called them by name. Now Dasher, now Dancer, now Prancer and Vixen, on Comet, on Cupid, on Donner and Blixen, to the top of the porch, to the top of the wall, now dash away, dash away, dash away all. As leaves that before the wild hurricane fly, when they meet with an obstacle, mount to the sky. So up to the housetop, the coursers, they flew with the sleigh full of toys and St. Nicholas too. And then in a twinkling, I heard on the roof the prancing and pawing of each little hoof. As I drew in my head and was turning around, down the chimney St. Nicholas came with a bound. He was dressed in fur from his head to his foot, and his clothes were all tarnished with ashes and soot. A bundle of choice he had flung on his back, and he looked like a peddler just opening his pack. His eyes, how they twinkled, his dimples, how merry. His cheeks were like roses, his nose like a cherry. His droll little mouth was drawn up like a bow, and the beard on his chin was as white as the snow. The stump of a pipe he held tight in his teeth, and the the smoke it encircled his head like a wreath. He had a broad face and a little round belly that shook when he laughed like a bowl full of jelly. He was chubby and plump, a right old jolly old elf, and I laughed when I saw him in spite of myself. A wink of his eye and a twist of his head soon gave me to know I had nothing to dread. He spoke not a word, but went straight to his work and filled all the stockings, then turned with a jerk. And laying his finger aside of his nose and giving a nod at the chimney, he rose. He sprang to his sleigh, to his team gave a whistle, and away they all flew like the dawn of a thistle. But I heard him explain as he drove out of sight, happy Christmas to all and to all a good night. For many people, this poem is read on Christmas Eve, and you read it, and it maybe bring back some nostalgia, some memories for you as a child, or things that now you share with your own family. This poem by uh, Clement Clark Moore was written in 1823. It is said that he wrote it during a snowy sleigh ride into the city to go shopping for Christmas. 
I'm sure as he wrote it, he in his own mind was imagining that wonderful evening, how he longed for it to come, when everyone would indeed be nestled. All the presents would be bought. He could nestle up for that long winter's nap. I'm sure he saw it and hoped for it and longed for it. I love this time of year, Christmas time. There is such a longing and an anticipation and a hope for that one day, that day when you awake, that day when maybe there would be presents full. But for us as believers, it's also this this Advent season of waiting the coming and longing for the day that we would celebrate the arrival of of our Savior. What I love about poems is that they help us put color to our life. They help articulate our lives and give us a fresh perspective on on the things that we have seen or longed for. Poems have a way of putting language to expressive emotions that we feel. They help us wrestle with the tensions of life. Tensions like longing for something that is to come but has not yet appeared. Poems like this that help us with this tension of one day St. Nick is coming, but he's not yet here. It's, it's this wrestling and every, all, all, all sorts of poetry and prose are written in, in a cadence and with a rhythm to help us kind of log in, connect in, and help even articulate some of our own angst and tension. We have these tensions in our lives, don't we? where we anticipate something that will come, but it hasn't yet happened. Something that will one day be, but it's not yet there now. For the high schooler, it's, it's the tension of, we know it's only two more weeks and a half or so before Christmas break is here. And every teacher along with them, wondering and waiting, will this clock hurry along, please? It's coming, we know it, but it's not yet here. It's that tension of to come but not yet here. It's, it's the, the longing that a, that a spouse has when, their, when their, their spouse is deployed overseas. It's the soldier that will come home for Christmas but isn't home yet. And the longing and the anticipation and the tension that builds of what we want to see, what we hope for, what we long for, but what we have yet to experience. Now there is this tension that builds in us And I think that's really what Christmas is. It's this tension of waiting, waiting for the Savior to arrive, waiting to celebrate his arrival, but this not yet here. It's not yet that day. It's not yet that time. Poems help us to embrace this this tension, this tension of longing for something that hasn't yet shown up. It hasn't yet been our reality and I think one of the biggest tensions that we experience, especially at Christmas time, is, is this tension of we have so much to do, but not enough time to do it. Like how many times have you said to yourself, oh, I wish I could just have one more hour in my day. Like if I, if I could just get one more hour in my day, if I could just squeeze a little bit more, if I could do a little bit more, if I could hustle a little bit harder, if I could eliminate this, oh, I just, I just need more time. But the reality is that we all live with the same tension. You get 24 hours every day. You get the same amount that the person sitting next to you gets. No more and no less. 
the tension exists. And at Christmas time, I feel like it's heightened because there are gifts, there are parties, there are things, there are phone calls, there are Christmas cards. And then you've got to track down the addresses of all of the people that you love so much but don't really keep in touch with except once a year when you send them a Christmas card to prove to them how amazing your life is, hoping that their life has been terrible. And you're like, ah, nah, 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 nah. Like, I, I know that tension exists in all of us. Some of you are like, not me, pastor. I love all the people on my Christmas list. And they love me. Yes, we can't wait to hear every detail that you share with us, that you've already shared with us on Facebook. Thank you so much for sharing. It is caring. But the tension of the season is wanting more time but not having enough time. I think it's this same kind of idea of tension of wanting something but not able to grab a hold of it that the people of God were experiencing. Hundreds of years before Jesus would ever show up, God's people were waiting and longing and desiring a Messiah to save them. Someone to show up and rescue them from slavery and bondage and oppression and, and for the promises that they would felt like God had given them to finally be here. And in the middle of this tension, God begins to give some specific promises and what the Bible refers to as prophecy that God begins to prophesy to his people some important things that would allow them to look forward with anticipation while living in a tense moment now. And it's these moments, these, these, po the, 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 these prophecies of the Old Testament that reveal and gave hope to the first coming, the first advent of Jesus. Things like in Micah chapter 5, verse 2, where it says, but you, Bethlehem, Though you are small among the clans of Judah, and out of you will come for me one who will be a ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old, from ancient times. Another one in Isaiah 7, verse 14, where it says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will call him Emmanuel. Isaiah 9, 6 and 7 says, For unto us a child is born. To us, a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, and the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over the kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. These were the prophecies, these were the promises that God inserts and gives to his people right in the middle of their, tense, of their tension that they're trying to live in. This longing of, oh, I want my Savior to come, oh, I need my Deliverer to come, but the Deliverer hasn't yet come, and he wouldn't come for several hundred years. See, these, these prophecies that God gave, gave indication to his people that God was in the future already. That while they were experiencing this tension, while they weren't sure how to manage it, how they weren't, they weren't sure how to handle it, they were living with this angst and this wondering and this anticipation, God shows up and gives these prophecies and lets them know, hey, I'm gonna give you a son. I'm gonna send my son. He's gonna be born in Bethlehem. There's gonna be a virgin. She's gonna conceive. How is that gonna happen? Only God knows. Only God could do it. Like, it's going to happen. He's, they're going to call him this, and it's going to be this. And, and God started to give them history in advance with these prophecies. 
This history in advance where God was saying, here's what's gonna happen. This is the history that you can look forward to and I'm gonna give it to you in advance. See, most of us, history is something that we have hindsight in where we can look back and we can say, oh yeah, that's, that, that's what happened. That's our history. But God is the God who's in the future. He can give you history in advance. He can give you a promise that's gonna come true in the future because he's not just in your now. He's not just fixing your yesterday. He's actually making pathways in your tomorrow. Listen, this is good news. We serve a God who's already in your tomorrow. He's already taking care of you. He's already maneuvering and shifting and making things, arranging things for you. He is not just the God of your yesterday and your problems in your past. He's present with your struggle and your tension today, and he's making a way in your future. That's good news. We serve a God who's not bound by this space. He, he gives this history in advance, and he's telling his people, listen, I know, I know, I know, I know, it's, it's, it's tough. I know you're longing for something. I know you're hoping for something. I know you're waiting for something. And he dropped little clues along the way. It's gonna be in this city. It's gonna be this kind of a person. He's gonna live here, here, and here. It's gonna happen like this. And he was dropping all of these clues, painting a picture like poetry would, painting this picture for God's people to have a little bit of hope in the middle of a time where they maybe didn't have any hope. See, because God is in our tomorrow, it allowed his people and it allows you to rest in your today. You can rest today because God is already in your tomorrow. You can rest today. You can stop and take a break and not strive so hard and work so hard and worry so much and struggle so much and, and worry about your time, 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 time because God is already in your tomorrow which allows you to rest today. Listen, you can trust God with your tomorrow and you prove that you're trusting your God with your tomorrow when you make a choice to rest today, when you stop today. When you take a break today, when you, big biblical word, are you ready for it? Sabbath. When you choose to honor and install a Sabbath in your life, you're proving to God that you trust him with it, your tomorrow. When you're willing to stop working today, you're telling God you'll take care of me tomorrow. There is this tension, this rhythm that God has. God works in these rhythms. Did you know that? That there is a rhythm to God's work. In fact, in all of creation, there was a rhythm. God's rhythm was, we're gonna work six days and on the seventh day, we're gonna stop. It's a rhythm. There, there was a rhythm. When he created heavens and the earth, there was a rhythm to the day, the cycles of the moon. There's, there's a rhythm to all of creation like a good poetry writer would write, there's a rhythm and a cadence to the delivery method of God in all of his creation. There is night, then there is morning, and that is that next day. All of creation follow this rhythm. All of, all of life follows this rhythm. Your life today is meant to follow this same rhythm of rest and work and rest and work and rest and work, but we live in a day and an age where we just work and we work and we work and we work. We have nervous breakdowns and then we work and then we work and then we work 
and we can't, we, we are restless at night rather than sleeping at night. Why? Because there's a tension. There's a tension. You're trying to manage something. You're trying to handle something. To be honest, you're trying to be God in your life. And you're not called to be God in your life. I'm not called to be God in my life. There's a rhythm that God wants us to follow in. It's this rhythm of understanding that God is the beginning. We play a role in the middle, and he's the, he's the one who's going to finish it in the end. He's the alpha, and he's the omega. He's the beginning and the end. Your very life started with God sending his son. Your salvation hinged on you playing a part in believing in him, but he's going to finish it later. He who began a good work in you, the Bible says in Philippians, that he's faithful to complete it in you. It's a work that God does. God starts it. You participate and respond to it, and he finishes it. Some of us need to get back to this rhythm that God has for us. Let's look at this rhythm in Genesis chapter 1. I'll show you some things from the very beginning of time, predating the law, predating everything. This is the very beginning that God established this, this rhythm. Genesis 1, God begins to create the earth and the world, and he says, let the stars be here, and we're going to create plants and animals and the fish and the sea, and we're going to have this line right here. The oceans can't cross this line. This is now land. That's now ocean. And he created order and organization, and God is a creating God. God has never stopped creating. He will never stop recreating. He is a creating being. It's just what God does. And after everything that he created, he says, oh, this is good. He looked at the animals and he said, it's good. On day six, he created humanity and he looked at humanity and he said, ah, oh, this is very good. In other words, God created you better than the four-legged friends, right? Like, like you, were, you were something where God looked and said, everything else is good. These people, they're very good. You are God's masterpiece. You're his prized possession in all of creation. Stop thinking of yourself any less than that. Stop thinking of yourself not good when God said, I created you and you are good. Very good. So God had created all of these things. Verse 31 of Genesis chapter 1, he says this, and God saw all that he had made and it was very good. Look at this. There was evening and there was morning and that's the sixth day. That same rhythm and cadence was all through day one, day two, day three, day four, day five, day six, all of them. It's evening and morning, and that's the day. It's a lunar day. In other words, your day is meant to start when you go to sleep. When you lay your head down, that's actually the start of your next day. That means you're supposed to start your day when you awake fully rested for what's ahead. That tells me that God wants you to work from a place of rest, not rest from being overworked. I'll keep going. There was evening and there was morning, and that was the sixth day, starting in chapter 2, verse 1. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he began doing. So the seventh day, he rested from all his work. In other words, that word rested really means he just stopped doing more work. He, he didn't rest because he was tired. God never tires. God never gets tired of your prayers. God never gets tired of fixing your problems. God never gets tired of rescuing you. God never gets tired of loving you. God never gets tired, but he still chose to rest, to stop creating on day seven. 
Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. God rested. The very first thing that happens, God creates all of things, creates humanity. Adam is there. And on the very first day, God says, hey, Adam, here's what we're going to do today. We're going to rest. God didn't look at Adam and say, hey, you better get to work. You better earn your keep around this garden, Adam. You need to get out there and get started. You got to start naming some animals. You got to trim some trees. You got to blow some leaves away. Come on, pal, let's go. I've been working hard for five days. You showed up on the sixth day. Now it's time to get going. No, God doesn't say that. The very first thing Adam gets to do when he is created is take a day off. Why? Because God said, it's the seventh day. It's a holy day. It's the day we stop. It's the day we stop. I want you to think about this. There was nothing in all of creation God says, oh, that is perfect. There's nothing I could do to improve on that. He just says, it's good. For a recovering perfectionist like me, that bothers me. Right, like, because I'm, I'm a type of person that's always wanting to make it better. I'm gonna tweak this. I'm gonna get it perfect here, and it's got a line here, and we're gonna make the straight lines on this way. And all that, I'm a recovering perfectionist. It's just kind of in me. I, I'm, I'm really trying to quit. I'm having trouble, but that's one of the reasons why I'm learning to just stop, because God stopped. Even though God is ultimate and perfect, you realize he could have made the butterfly a little more beautiful. He could have made the aardvark talk He could have done more than what he did, but he still stopped. He didn't say, all of my work here is done. I'm finished. I'm going to go check out. I'm going to hang out on my throne, and y'all figure this out later. I'm out. That's not what he did. But he did set a principle and a precedence to say, six days we work, seven day we stop. You need a seventh day in your life. You need a day that you just stop. God said, this is the day. It's the seventh day. I'm making this day holy. Y'all listen, we serve the God who invented the weekend. He invented it. And he gave it to you as a gift. We work five days here in America and we're supposed to have a weekend, a two-day weekend, right? A two-day reprieve. What God has said, if you'll just take one of those days and make it holy, we've turned around and said, no, nah, no, nah, we like to make it a little more hectic. You said it's holy, we're gonna make it hectic. How are you doing? I'm busy. What you doing? It's crazy, I got so much going on. I'm running here, I'm running there, I'm doing this, I'm doing that, I've gotta run here, I gotta take care of this, I got a grocery shop, I've got this ball practice and this recital and this thing and that thing and then I've gotta come over here and do this and it's just like hectic. But God said there's supposed to be a day that's holy. There's supposed to be a day that's, that's holy. There's supposed to be a day where, where God says, let's make it stop for a day. Just stop. I find it interesting that a lot of times I'll, we'll talk about this and you're like, yeah, but pastor, you don't understand. Like, like my life is full. Like I, I got a full, I, I ain't got hardly no margin. I don't have time to, I've got to run here and I've got to go there. I've got to do this thing. Oh, says who? Says who? Who said you've got to put your kids in every activity? Who said that? Well, if I don't do it, I'm afraid that they're not going to develop and this. And so you're telling me you're, you're parenting based on fear? 
afraid that God can't give them opportunities if they don't just keep going all the time? Like, you're, I thought we were supposed to live by, by faith. I thought we were supposed to put our priorities in a way that says, God, we're going we're gonna to do this. Who says you have to sign up for everything? Who says you have to do it all? You've become a slave to your own choices. The good news is you can make different choices. You can start taking a step back and creating margin and creating a day that says, no, 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 this is the day we're going to stop on this day. We're going to have a day where we stop, where we, where we don't have these extra commitments, where we don't do these other things. We're going to have a day that we stop. We're going to work hard the other six days. We ain't lazy bums. Like, we're going to do some work. Back to the grind. But one day a week, we're going to make a decision we're going to stop because God says if we stop, he'll bless it. I wonder if some of us are missing the very blessing of God in our lives because we're running and we're never stopping. And God says, when you Shabbat, when you Sabbath, I make that blessed and I make that holy. He blesses it. What, what does a Sabbath look like? Let me give you three things that I think need to happen on a day where you choose, all right, this is our Sabbath. This is the day that we're gonna honor God. This is our seventh day. It doesn't matter what day it is. For you, it could be Sunday. Maybe it's Saturday. Let's not get legalistic and all uptight about what day. No, 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 no. It's Sunday. It has to be Sunday. Says who? Really? Says who? It's really okay. My wife and I, our day is Friday. We stop. It's the day we stop. We have windows of time where we just, we just stop. It's just our day. What do we do on that day? Three things that I think you need to do on the day when you stop on your Sabbath. Number one is this. I think Sabbath rest is about recovery. Recovery. Your body needs to recover. In every physical training program and, and thing that you would do, they always say you need a day for recovery. It's a day to rest. Did you know that the average adult needs seven to nine hours of sleep? Not in a week. Every night. Seven to nine hours every night. Like, you need more sleep. Imagine the decisions that you could have made better if you weren't sleep deprived. But it all requires you to be willing to set aside some time and say, no, no, no. At this time to this time, I'm going to stop every day, like many Sabbaths. Every day at 945, my phone no longer alerts me of anything. Doesn't alert me again until after seven o'clock the next morning. I got some people who like to text me around here at 6 a.m. I love them. I don't read those texts until after seven, most days. I just, we just don't. Why? Because I want to sleep, y'all. I need some sleep. You need some sleep. Did you know that your body was designed to re recover itself, to regenerate its own cells, to, 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 um, renew your energy. There's these REM cycles from 11 p.m. to 3 a.m. is the best sleep, the deepest sleep your body was designed to get. Which means that if you're staying up until 1 a.m., trying to sleep until 11 a.m., you have botched your body's natural cycle of renewal. Doesn't work. So you know what you need to do? You're extra tired, go to bed earlier. Sleep in on the front side 
and you won't be groggy on the backside. But if you push it past that 11, you push past that deep sleep, and you're going to bed later, later, waking up later, later, it's no wonder you wake up with this headache, this grogginess, and a funk that everybody around you knows. Right? Why? Because you, you went contrary to the rhythm that got installed in the humanity. You need sleep. The Sabbath is a day for rest, for recovery. Sabbath rest involves recovery of your physical body. Sabbath rest also is refreshment. It's not just recovery for your physical body, but it is refreshment for your soul. On your Sabbath, you need to do things that you find delight in, not that you are slave to a duty to do. If you don't enjoy grocery shopping, don't grocery shop on that day. Do things that day. Spend time doing things that day that bring you delight. Play golf at least twice. Go fishing. Cook new things. Go for a walk. Work in the garden. Paint. Write poetry. Read a book. Play games. Stay in your PJs all day. Unless you have to go to Walmart. Then for the love of all humanity, put on clothes. I mean, you ain't got to get all dolled up. You ain't going to Target. <laughs> but put on clothes. Slippers don't count. Do things on the Sabbath, on your day, that you choose to stop. Do things that you take delight in, that refresh and replenish your soul. Your soul. The Sabbath was made for you. It is a gift of God for you. It's a day that you should allow your body to recover, allow your soul to be refreshed. And thirdly, your Sabbath needs to involve renewal spiritually. Worship is a part of your Sabbath. That's why for a lot of people, Sunday is the day that they Sabbath. They show up here at church and they worship. It's a priority. They don't have other things that they're doing. It's part of, worship is the thing. It's one of the things. You are a spirit. Your spirit needs to be alive and renewed and refreshed. Your spirit needs this renewal. Every week there's markings where we come and we worship and we serve God and we, we serve other people and it brings this sense of renewal in our spirits. We're made alive when we're doing it God's way. We're made alive when we're serving the people of God. We're made alive when we're worshiping with the people of God. We're made alive in those moments. That's why on Friday, there's rarely a Friday that goes by that I don't sit down and watch another sermon. I gotta go to church. I need that renewal in my spirit too. Sunday is not my day of Sabbath. This is work. I'm working at you. Oh, sorry. Rabbit, rabbit trail. Like, this is, this is one of the most important appointments that I have all week long. It happens every week. You have a standing appointment with your pastor every week. I show up for it. I show up prepared. Show up prayed up. I show up ready to impart to you what I believe God has put in my heart to share with you. And I believe it's life-changing. I believe it's life-giving. It needs to be a part of your, your Sabbath, this spiritual renewal. I love spending a little bit longer time in prayer. 
putting away the distractions and spending some time in prayer. You know why? Because we are so distracted, we never deal with the pain that shows up in our life of the, of the six-day grind. We don't deal with the pain. But when we pause on a day of Sabbath to pray, we give God an opportunity to heal our pain, to speak life to us, to speak encouragement to us, rather than going, 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 break down. God says, if you'll just work, rest, work, rest. Six days you work, seventh day you stop. You, you allow your body to recover. You allow your soul to be replenished. And you allow your spirit to be renewed in the presence of God. You allow it to be renewed in the presence of God. This is, this idea of Sabbath rest it's really important. That's why for the last three years, on the last Sunday of the year as a church, we all Sabbath. We all just, we just choose to not meet here. We, we're resting on that day over the, at the end of the Christmas holiday, the end of the year. We're ending it in rest, but really what we're doing is starting our year from a place of rest. And we'll stream a, a sermon on YouTube, on our YouTube channel, and on our Facebook, so you can gather and be encouraged and hear a word. And it's gonna be great on that day. You'll be able to tune right in and listen, but, but we're not gonna gather here in this space. Why? Because we're just gonna practice Sabbath together. We do it every year. And we do it primarily as a way just to be an extra blessing to everybody who serves so faithfully week in and week out on the serve team. Just enjoy Christmas. Take some time to extend it out. Recover. Renew. Refresh yourself. Listen. If you don't take the Sabbath, if you don't start a rhythm of regularly stopping, if you don't take a Sabbath, the Sabbath will eventually take you. Your body wasn't designed to go at that pace and that rhythm. Your body was designed by the creator. Six days, take a break. Six days, take a break. 24-hour cycles. Sleep, work, sleep again. Sleep, work, sleep again. Sleep, work, sleep again. And on the seventh day, you just stop. There is no work. If you don't take a Sabbath, the Sabbath will eventually take you. This week, I want to challenge you to do a couple practical things. How do I start this process, Pastor, of getting a Sabbath? Well, I think number one, you just need to practice it. Practice it this week. Like, practice saying no to certain things. You don't have to go to every birthday party or Christmas party you're invited to. It's okay to say no especially if it interferes with your day that you said, this is the day that I'm choosing to stop and be with the Lord and delight. It's okay to say no. It's all right. Practice saying no this week. Maybe slow down this week. Drive the speed limit. Use cruise control. 
I mean, I love that we're funding the city and all, but just, you know, slow down this year. Use cruise control. Drive the speed limit. Forces you into a different rhythm and pace in your life. Instead of hurry, 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 slow down. Go to bed earlier. Choose some entertainment limits. Limit some of the entertainment that you're doing. You don't need to Netflix and chill every night. Just limit it. Give yourself windows of time. Maybe turn off the, uh, the, the alerts on your phone from a period that you want to go to bed so you can go to bed earlier. Set a bedtime for yourself. Like go to bed early. Just do it. Practice. Sabbath. I know you're sitting there thinking, Pastor, I, you don't understand it. It's really hard to practice something. My life is so full. I have so much that I'm already doing. And then here you are talking about Sabbath and how I need to prioritize this and I need to do this. And what about this thing? And you're like, see, it doesn't fit. I don't have time. I don't have time to do it. I don't have time to worship God. I don't have time to spend time in Him. I don't have time to pray. I don't have time to worship. I don't have time for hobbies. I don't have time to sleep in. I just don't have time. And that's the tension that we live in, right? We just don't have time. Oh, but you do. You do. You do have more time than what you think. See, there's this principle in the kingdom of God. There's this idea that God established that says, if you will go ahead and prioritize Sabbath rest, if you'll do it God's way, I think there's a scripture Jesus gave that said, if you will seek first the kingdom of God. If you'll put the big rocks in first, if you'll calendar for the rest of the, the month, one day every week that you're going to just stop and you're going to say no to other things, you're going to prepare in advance, you're going to do what you need to do on the other six days. If you will just prioritize this idea of putting God first, if you'll prioritize seeking Him first, if you'll put Him first in all that you do, the Bible says all of those other things that you're worried about, all of those things, they're going to be added right unto you. But when you put the big rocks in first, you'll find that the rest of your life comes into place. That's why when you live by the principle of the first, why we give the first Wednesday, every, every month we give the first Wednesday to prayer. Every, every week when we get paid, we give the first to God. Every day we choose, we're going to give the first of our day to God. We're going to do it His way. We're going to put the big rocks in first. He'll add it all right to you and make it all fit. Make it fit. And then when something falls out and it gets, where'd it go? Falls out, gets out of place because you prioritize God says, I'm going to honor you because you honored my Sabbath. And he'll take care of the things that concern you, that worry you, that frustrate you. He says, I'll bring more peace. 24 hours in a day, seven days in a week there's a rhythm to it. Rest to work and rest again. Work again. Listen, when you choose to rest, God says, I'll take care of your tomorrow. When you choose to rest, even when stuff has, has yet to be done, when it's not all finished and it's not all perfect, but you rest anyway, you stop anyways. Prioritize it. When you see to the priorities of heaven, God blesses that in your life again and again and again. Again and again and again. 
Don't wait till all the work is done. Well, don't wait to, to start serving and start worshiping and make church a priority. And the, no, I'll do it when I'm less busy. No, no, you won't. But you put the big rocks in first. Watch how everything else falls into place. Watch how it all fills in, all of the extra space. Calendar the things you need to calendar. Put it in first. Exercise, sleep, day of stopping, a date night, church, time with the Lord. Put the big rocks in first. And watch God do the rest. Because on the seventh day, the principle is this. He stopped and he blessed it and said, it's holy. When you start looking at your time and your priorities as holy, it'll be less hectic. It'll be less hectic. Would you bow your heads as we close in prayer? Father, I thank you that as we've heard your word, Lord, you promised to give your beloved sleep. And God, when we choose to stop, when we stop striving and trying to doing in our own, but Lord, we stop. Even when the work is undone, even when there's more to do, even if it's the busiest season of our lives, Lord, if we make a priority to stop when we need to stop, have many Sabbaths throughout even the day. Practice these things. Put the big rocks in first. God, you renew, you restore, you refresh us. God, there are many in this room, many watching online and listening. Lord, they are frazzled. They are worn out. They are tired. They are weary. And they don't know how they're going to fit another thing in. But God, I pray that you would give them the faith to prioritize the things that you want them to prioritize. And Lord, as they honor those things, you'll take care of the rest. You'll bring a sense of holy awe to a schedule that feels just too hectic because you're good like that, Lord. Lord, I just declare that this would be the most stress-free holiday season we've ever experienced because we choose to walk in your rhythm each and every day and each and every week. We love you. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen.